hands to the floor. Let it go, Eddie, the pharmacist shouted from the rear. He reached for the telephone. Let him have it. As the pharmacist dialed, the clerk let go. Frantic, Dublin tore at the sealed cardboard, fumbled with the safety cap, and dumped the tablets into his hand. Some flew across the floor. He shoved the tablets into his mouth, choked as he tried to swallow all at once, and slumped to the floor, weak from pain. He pressed the heels of his hands to his temples and sobbed. Moments later, a patrol car pulled up outside the shop. The pharmacist waved the policeman to come inside. He pointed to Mario Dublin curled up on the floor and shouted, Get that stinking bum out of here! Look what he did to my place! I intend to press charges of assault and robbery! The policemen pulled out their nightsticks. They noted the minor damage and the strewn pills, but they smelled alcohol, too. The younger one heaved Dublin up to his feet. Okay, Mario, let's take a ride. The second patrolman took Dublin's other arm. They walked the unresisting drunk out to their patrol car. But as the second officer opened the door, the younger one pushed down on Dublin's head to guide him inside. Dublin screamed and lashed out, twisting away from the hand on his throbbing head. "'Grab him, Manny!' the younger cop yelled. Manny tried to grip Dublin, but the drunk wrenched free. The younger cop tackled him. The older one swung his nightstick and knocked Dublin down. Dublin screamed. His body shook, and he rolled on the pavement. The two policemen blanched and stared at each other. Manny protested. "'I didn't hit him that hard.' The younger bent to help Dublin up. "'Jesus, he's burning up. Get him in the car.' They picked up the gasping Dublin and dumped him under the car's rear seat. Manny raced the squad car, its siren wailing through the night streets. As soon as he screeched to a stop at the emergency room, Manny flung open his door and tore inside the hospital, shouting for help. The other officer sprinted around the car to open Dublin's door. When the doctors and nurses arrived with a gurney, the younger cop seemed paralyzed, staring into the car's rear, where Mario Dublin lay unconscious in blood that had pooled on the seat and spilled onto the floor. The doctor inhaled sharply. Then he climbed inside, felt for a pulse, listened to the man's chest, and backed outside, shaking his head. He is dead. No way, the older cop's voice rose. We barely touched the son of a bitch. They ain't going to lay this one on us. Because the police were involved, only four hours later the medical examiner prepared for the autopsy of the late Mario Dublin address unknown, in the morgue on the basement level of the hospital. The double doors of the suite flung wide. Walter, don't open him. Dr. Walter Pekjik looked up. What's wrong, Andy? Maybe nothing, Dr. Andrew Wilkes said nervously, but all that blood in the patrol car scares the hell out of me. Acute respiratory distress syndrome shouldn't lead to blood from the mouth. I've only seen that kind of blood from a hemorrhagic fever I helped treat when I was in the Peace Corps in Africa. This guy was carrying a disabled American vet's card. 
Maybe he was stationed in Somalia or somewhere else in Africa. Dr. Pekyuk stared down at the dead man he was about to cut open. Then he returned the scalpel to the tray. Maybe we'd better call the director. And call infectious diseases, too, Dr. Wilkes said. Dr. Pekyuk nodded, the fear naked in his eyes. 7.55 p.m., Atlanta, Georgia. Packed inside the high school auditorium, the audience of parents and friends was hushed. Up on the bright stage, a beautiful teenage girl stood in front of scenery intended to depict the restaurant in William Inge's bus stop. Her movements were awkward, and her words, ordinarily free and open, were stiff. None of that bothered the stout, motherly woman in the first row. She wore a silver gray...